The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. Welcome to the show. Tonight we're going to be talking about the normal. Well, pop culture, anyway. And if you're like me and you're like millions of other people who maybe stayed home from school during the 70s, you know, you had a sick day, whatever, or the 80s, and you, uh, you know, turn on the afternoon television and you'd see a standard fare prior to all these cable channels, prior to Netflix, prior to all that stuff. You'd see a, 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 a staple fare of, uh, of television programs that were in syndication that would rerun and that we would watch over and over and over. And those programs included things like, oh, I don't know, I Dream of Jeannie, Bewitched, someone that I remember, and of course, Gilligan's Island. Gilligan's Island only lasted three seasons when it was in prime time, when it was a new program in 1964 through 67. However, it left a mark on pop culture that still is felt today, and that's in no small part a testament to the star of the program, Bob Denver, who played Gilligan, little buddy, you know, to the skipper. And tonight we are very, very honored, and we have a real treat for you. We've got the widow of Bob Denver, Dreama Denver, joining us. She's written a book. It's called Gilligan's Dreams, The Other Side of the Island. And we're going to talk about Bob as a person, as a father, as a husband, as a man, as an actor, and, of course, as the iconic character of Gilligan, which probably is what he's best known for. I would say that by leaps and bounds, that's what he's best known for. Known for. That character is just an icon. So we're going to go to break quickly here so we can get Dreama on the line and begin our conversation because we only have her for about 45 minutes and we're going to make use of the entire time. So we'll go to break and we'll be right back. Please support the program. Go to patreon.com slash Joha. That's J-O-H-A-W. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome back to the program. It's Beyond Reality. I'm your host, JV. Thank you to everyone for being here tonight as people file into our chat room. Good to see everybody joining us. Plus, thank you to all the folks listening to this program as a downloadable podcast, too. We have so many people that do that. Those numbers are terrific. We get downloaded something like 10,000 times a day. So thank you so much to everyone who does that. And please, if you would, share it with your friends, people who you also think might enjoy what we talk about here. Tonight, we're going to take a very, very uh, interesting course. We're going to talk pop culture, particularly a, a, a TV icon, a TV legend, in fact. We all know Gilligan. We all know Gilligan's Island. It's something that, I, if we're not born with this knowledge, it comes to us very, very quickly in, uh, in, in pop culture circles and in American television. Uh, Gilligan's Island, uh, an iconic television show from the 60s that ran in reruns throughout the 70s, 80s, 90s, and still rerunning today. And it's beloved by millions. Tonight, we're going to be talking with the star of that program, Bob Denver's uh, wife. Bob left us a few years ago, but uh, Dreama Denver is here to talk about Bob's uh, life, his career, his work, 
and uh, what he was like as a man, as a husband, as a father, and as an actor. Dreamer, welcome to Beyond Reality Radio. It's such an honor to have you with us tonight. Thank you so much for being here. J.D., I just love that you're keeping me up late. I love this. <laughs> yeah, it's you a great... Sound so chip- <laughs> you sound so chipper. Well, you do too, and it's a great time to be up at night. This is when all the, the interesting people come out of the woodwork, and we get to talk about all sorts of interesting things. Um, well, and, you know, I remember when I used to be one of those interesting people. Well, I think that you- everything started at 11 <laughs> o'clock at night, right? I think you probably still are. First of all, <laughs> I have to say, your name is so beautiful. Tell me about your name, Dreama. Oh, thank you so much. I, I've always loved my name. Um, there's not a real interesting story. I'm so, I should make one up. I really <laughs> should. But I really should. But um, actually, when my mother was a little girl, she heard the name somewhere along the way mm-hmm. and said that when she had a baby, the first baby she had was going to be named Dreama. And I'm just glad I was a girl. That's all I can say. <laughs> <Yeah>. And <laughs> my dad wanted to name me Stormy, so I'm really glad that my mother won that argument because I can't imagine. I just think Stormy would be a whole different persona, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, well, I think I think you're on to something there. People tend to kind of develop a personality that seems to fit with their name, so I never know which, which comes first. It's kind of a chicken and an egg thing here, but I suspect right. we grow into our names, so if, if your name had been Stormy, it probably would have been a very different outcome. Maybe not bad, but just so, different. I think so, too. I, I always felt that Dreama was a name you had to live up to. You couldn't be a hateful, nasty person and have the name Dreama. That, at least that's how I felt. So I've always loved it. But I have to tell you one thing. When I was a little girl, like grade school, the little boys would go, hey, Dreamboat, on the playground. <laughs> and I would turn around, and they would say, not you, shipwreck. Oh, so, you know, it oh. had its downside, but I loved it even then. Wow. It didn't matter. Wow. <laughs> well, you have a a second edition of a, of a book that you've written, which tells the story of your life with Bob. Uh, it's right. called it's called Gilligan's Dreams, The Other Side of the Island. To get started in this conversation, um, tell us how you met Bob and how your relationship began. Well, I was uh, a young actress working mostly on stage. And I happened to be in Florida visiting my family between shows, and um, a friend called me and told me they were auditioning for a show called Play It Again, Sam. That was a Woody Allen show for those who um, have a theater background, Mm -hmm. and I would be great for the lead. And so I thought, okay, well, I'll go over and audition, and I did. And I got the part, and this is actually exactly what happened. I said, I was talking to the producer after I got the part, and I said, so who's going to be starring in the show? And she said, Bob Denver. And I stopped and I looked at her and I said, Gilligan? (laughs) She said, yes. And I said, seriously, I'm going to have to do love scenes and kiss Gilligan, really? (laughs) And she was like, well, if you want the part, yes, you're going to have to do those things. And I was like, no, no, no. I want the part. I want the part. And of course, Little did I know that that kissing and all that loving would last for 30 years. Yeah. I mean, we had a long marriage, so, um, and it was the real deal. So anyway, when I first met him, uh, it was the first day of rehearsal. I got there first. We were kind of the actors chit-chatting with each other, waiting for him to come. And when I had arrived at the theater, they had a billboard that said, Bob Denver starting, starring in Played Against Sam, also starring 
dreamer, <laughs> Carrie, which was my maiden name. Mm-hmm. And so Bob hit the doorway of the rehearsal hall and stopped and went, what the H-E-double-L. Not the worst word. Okay. Okay. What is a dreamer? And I said, well, that would be me. And he said, seriously, your name is Dreamer? And I said, no, no, no. Seriously, my name is Dreama. Well, that was just as bad. He was like, really, Dreama? And I was like, yeah. So he shook my hand. And honestly, I know it sounds kind of corny, but it was just electric. I mean, we just shook hands and it was like I went. There you are. And he told me later that he felt the same way. And from that moment, we um, we were just together forever yeah. until he passed away. We, it was just a kind of an amazing thing, whether it's, you know, whether people believe in love at first sight or whatever that would be. It was a huge attraction. And and it really, um, you know, it really amounted to something. Yeah, well, clearly it worked and it was right and it was meant to be because, you, as you pointed out, you were together for 30 years. You were uh, with Bob up to the point where he passed. But when you saw him for the first time, Dreama, and again, you had this image of Gilligan because everybody who knows who Bob Denver is immediately thinks of Gilligan. And we're going to talk a little bit about that uh, in, in, in a little bit. But when you did he did he when you met him, was he Gilligan? I mean, or or did his personality dispel that immediately for you dispelled it immediately for me mm-hmm. and for anybody who ever met him you know away from the gilligan persona bob was absolutely now he had oh i don't know he had gilligan's gentleness and mm-hmm. and and bob really never lost that childlike wonder which i loved about him for the world he was always curious and inquisitive about everything and everybody and and, you know, wanted to know, I don't care if he, you know, met you in the aisle down at Lowe's, if he was talking to you, he'd want to know, you know, well, what do you do? And and was really interested in all that. But the thing about Bob, I think that would surprise people who, who think of him only as Gilligan. He was highly intelligent, uh, which, of course, we know Gilligan wasn't necessarily. He had a great heart, <laughs> but maybe not the smartest person on the island, you know. And Bob just had this um, this humanness, this down-to-earthness. He didn't have an ego, which I loved about him. There was not an ego that needed to be fed constantly. And, and he was just a regular guy, but a very smart guy. And a very, when it came to our son and me, um, so loyal and there through everything and we went through a lot of a lot of things with our son so um he was you know he was very very different as a matter of fact one night we were sitting in um this or one day one afternoon getting ready to go to the theater we were sitting in the star apartment and gilligan's island was on the tv and i found myself i would look at the tv and then i would look over to my left and look at him and i would look back at the tv and i would look over at him and i would go <laughs> Well, you look alike, but <laughs> other than that, you know, I'm not, I don't see. So he was different, but he had all of those qualities that people love from the show. And of course, when he was doing personal appearances and, you know, autograph sessions, memorabilia shows, things like that, um, you know, that, that would be part of, of the appearance would be to bring some of that out, sure. you know, sure. 
You know, you, you mentioned, you made a point of, of talking about the fact that Bob was intelligent. And I have to say that, um, you know, I'm not an actor uh, and I, I don't have a, a whole lot of uh, ability to appreciate that kind of work. I know, I, I know when I like something and I watch it and I like it, but that's about as far as I can go. But I have to say, given the character that, that Bob created with Gilligan, um, in order to appear that innocent, that humble, that bumbling, all the, all the beautiful qualities that made Gilligan, you have to be intelligent to pull that off, I would think. See, that's such a smart thing for you to say, because any actor will tell you exactly that, that you have to be um, a highly intelligent. For instance, somebody like Don Knotts, who was a comic genius. Love Don Knotts. Love Don Knotts. Yeah, uh, absolutely. You know, you have to be, you know, you have to be smart to pull that off and you have to be smart to recognize uh, that very thing. Mm -hmm. So he, you know, he... He was just, I don't know, he was just such a regular person that, like, when we were home for a long time, maybe in the early days of our marriage together, we spent a lot of time in Hawaii. We'd be there kind of off to ourselves, and then we'd come back into, you know, life, and people would be making fusses and running around, and, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, it's Gilligan, it's Gilligan. And it would kind of take us both aback. (laughs) You know, I'd be like, what are they talking about? And then it would... (laughs) You know, it was sort of settle in, and you go, "Oh yeah, okay, right. back to the real world." Here we go. Now, Bob got um, obviously. If you ask a hundred people uh, who Bob Denver is, at least ninety nine are going to start with Gilligan. Um, mm-hmm. But Bob really got his real first break, from what I understand, is on Dobie Gillis. Right? Is that where his real on Dobie Gillis? Yeah, Absolutely. and he was kind of he was, he was kind of a beatnik kind of character there. He wasn't. He was a beatnik character, <laughs> and he was. He was uh, when he got that role. I think he was twenty-three years old, and he was playing a high school student. Of course, anybody who knew Bob, he always had that youthfulness about him. Yeah, could always pull off younger than he was. And and so when he first got the part, he started visiting all the coffee houses in San Francisco and Los Angeles to hear the beatniks how they talked and what the lingo was and all of that thing so he could pull it off really well. So he was the first beatnik on television. And he was um, he was voted, oh my gosh, I think it was in, it was either Entertainment Weekly or TV Guide, uh, one of the top, one. this was a few years back, one of the top 100 uh, television characters for Maynard. Maynard was like the character he played, Maynard mm-hmm. G. Krebs, mm-hmm. was like the Fonzie of that era of TV. That's a good way to he put was, it. That's a good way to put yeah, it. Now, he really was. I mean, he was a breakout star. Now, he and Dwayne Hickman, who I'm still friends with, Dwayne and his wife, Joan, uh, they, you know, Dwayne was the star of the show and taught Bob so much about being the star of a show and running a set and all those things that, that uh, Bob picked up from Dwayne. But Bob was the breakout star of the show. I mean, he was the one that, that because he was so different. You know, imagine in 19, oh gosh, that show started in 1959. Wow. And went until 1963. So you can imagine there had never been a character, I don't think anyway, like that on television. So it was a real phenomenon, what he did with that character. And, you know, during lockdown, it was so funny. I found the show on... um Amazon Prime, I think, or maybe Roku, 
but I found Dobie Gillis, and I'd never really seen the show. When I was a little girl, I was, mm-hmm. I was young. I was younger than Bob. So when I was a little girl, my dad watched it, but I didn't rem- remember anything about it. And I sat down to watch them, and it was it was ahead of its time. It was so well written. It was word comedy, which I love more than I love physical comedy. I really enjoy, you know, the the word comedy. And it was written by Max Shulman, who was like highly respected, prolific writer in Hollywood. And um, it was, you know, Bob just did a an amazing job with that character and really set the tone. Because of that, he was offered a lot of scripts after that went off the air. What did he want to do? He kind of had his choice, and he chose Gilligan because of the physical comedy. He always felt that he had the best of both worlds with those two characters. And going back to your question a little bit earlier, um, one thing Bob wanted to do with Gilligan, and I think he did this so successfully, he studied his then five-year-old son because he wanted Gilligan to be to have that childlike wonder that we talked about earlier. He wanted people, he wanted the little kids who watched the show to see that you could mess up, you could make a mistake, you could ruin the rescue for everybody, (laughs) but people would still, the people in your life who loved you would forgive you and love you no matter what, which is what the castaways always did. Yeah. So that was really what he wanted to get across with the character of Gilligan. Was Bob a reluctant actor? In some of what I was reading here, he wasn't sure he wanted to be an actor. I, you know, I've thought about that so much since he passed away. And I think, it, I don't know how to put this exactly, but I think he was, He, I think he became much more famous than he ever dreamed mm-hmm. he would. I think he loved acting. He loved it in college. He did it for the first time at uh, Loyola in L.A., and loved it. So he walked on stage and started getting laughs. He had never done it. And that's kind of addictive, you know, to people sure. who yeah. have that in them. So that was a bit of addictive to him. He loved it, and then he wanted to do it. And it wasn't long after he graduated from Loyola that he got the part of Maynard. And he just, um, I don't know, he he was uh, he was <laughs> he was just amazed at the reaction that people got because he didn't know he was funny and suddenly he was funny <laughs> and you know, it was just very seductive. He just wanted more of it. So I think he really loved acting. What I think when I look back on it all is that he was, um, I don't know how to put, I want to say he was uncomfortable with his celebrity, but I don't want yeah. that to come across bad because mm-hmm. he was, he was absolutely wonderful with the fans. He would take all the time in the world. He would sign every autograph. He would do, you know, the personal appearance and stay the whole time. A lot of stars won't do that. But I think the fact that he was he was just famous always sort of made him go, what? What? <laughs> what? Yeah. I'm Bob. I'm just Bob, <laughs> you know. I really think that's, that's how he was. So I don't, I don't think it was reluctance to act. I think he loved that part. But I think all the trappings that came with that were sometimes overwhelming yeah that's a, that's a kind of humility that is all too rare these days and uh, and it's refreshing to hear you say that because that's that's what my read would have been as well that he enjoyed what he did he loved his work however he was uncomfortable maybe with the the um the the adoration or the you know the the fuss that comes along yeah. with it over him you know he he felt like and i'm i'm just going based on what you said now but he felt like he was just a regular guy and wanted to be a regular dad and husband 
He was just a regular guy, and I think he didn't mind the fuss when it was the whole cast. Right. You know, because he he loved both of his casts, both of those casts he loved so much. And but with the Gilligan cast, you know, they were such great friends all through their lives. They've all passed away except for Tina now, and and they were they were such close friends and close buddies. He and Alan did personal appearances together all the time. Then when Alan passed away, Bob and Dawn and Russ started doing the appearances together. So they were always close. And I think when they were being made a fuss over as a group, because he thought Gilligan was such an ensemble, right? Uh, you know, everybody had their moment to shine and, and everybody, um, he didn't want, you know, he's the one, I don't know if you know this story or not, but I think this is so interesting for your listeners. If, um, you know, at the beginning, the first season of Gilligan's Island, they did the theme song. And, of course, The Millionaire and His Wife, The Movie Star, and the rest. Yep. Right yep. here on Gilligan's Isle. And before the second season started, Bob went to the suits at the studio, and he said, we can't do that. We can't name five people and leave two out because we're all an ensemble. I mean, everybody's equally important in this show. And they said, well, you know, Bob, that's the way it is. You know, we have that theme song is written. And Bob said, well, then, you know, something's going to have to be changed. And if you can't change it, then put me in the back with and the rest. And they said, you can't be and the rest. You're Gilligan. It's your island. And he said, well, you know, maybe so. But I want to be in the back, the back end of the credits with the rest. And they were like, okay, so... Sherwood, you know, it wasn't that big of a change. I mean, it really wasn't, you know. Right. The professor and Marianne. Yeah, it works. that different. Yeah. And it worked just fine. So that got rewritten and they got their, you know, their single credit. And Bob felt so much better. And when I met him and as we were getting to know each other, see, that kind of thing really impressed me. That I mean, he really would have gone to the back of the credits. That would have been fine with him. Yeah, that would have been a okay because he was going to bat for Dawn and Russ, and they always loved him for that and never forgot it that he had done that for them. When when uh, Gilligan, Gilligan's Island was on the drawing board, being casted or cast, however you say that, uh, Sherwood uh, didn't think uh, Bob was the right for the part, right? Because if he was so well known as the beatnik character from Dobie Gillis. That's that's true. And also the first choice for Gilligan before Bob agreed to do it, was sent the script and, and wanted to do that one, was uh, Jerry Van Dyke, Van Dyke's brother. Oh, wow. Yeah. And and I could, you know, when I think of that, think of Jerry Van Dyke, I can I can see that it would have been a different right. kind of Gilligan, you know, but I could see that that Sherwood might have wanted him. And it was so funny because I've read interviews with Jerry Van Dyke since where he says, he says, well, you know, I was offered the part of Gilligan on Gilligan's Island, but I was also offered, um, oh my gosh, what was the one with the talking horse? Mr. Ed? Uh, no, not Mr. Ed. Maybe it wasn't. Mr. Oh, what was it? No, no, no. It was, I think it was my mother, the car. The talking oh, yeah, car. right. My mother, the car. Yeah. And, and he said, um, and I looked at the two of them and I thought, eh, this thing with the shipwreck's never going to work. So I'll take my mother the car. <laughs> of course, <laughs> and of course, he chose wrongly on that one. Do you know that the show has been on the air for fifty-seven years now? It's crazy. I mean, it's crazy I to mean, think it's been that long. 
and it's probably never been, never not been on the air, right? I mean, I imagine it is always on the air. Well, what you said in the intro is so true. I'm telling you, when I met Bob in the mid-70s, well, actually 77, I don't know if that's mid or not, I guess it's closer to the end, but in 1977, when I met Bob, I mean, that show played umpteen times a day. I mean, we'd be working someplace doing a show because, of course, after we fell in love and met each other, we worked together all the time and on stage. And so we would be somewhere. For some reason, Charlotte, North Carolina sticks out in my head, but we were there. And I'm telling you, the show between the hours of 3 o'clock in the afternoon and 6 o'clock at night ran against itself on almost every channel. Yeah. And that continued all through the 70s and 80s. In the 90s, it it maybe wasn't rerunning quite as much, but still a lot. Yep. And then in the 2000s, it sort of, I think now it's on MeTV and, and maybe Nick at Night. Is Nick at Night still around? I don't even know. I don't even know. I don't either. I don't think I, I don't think I get the channel if it is around still. But, um, but, you know, it reruns still, so it's still on the air. But Bob, when Bob passed away, it had been on the air for 41 years. And he couldn't believe that. He was, I mean, he would just look at it and go, you've got to, <laughs> <laughs> you have well, to be kidding me. We thought we were making this little show yeah. that we prayed would just last one season, you know. And and, and, only, and, then, of course, and by TV standards, I mean, it lasted three seasons, which isn't a lo- necessarily a long run. But there was something so magical about it, Dreamer, that it just, it just, you know, it, it, it found new life after it was no longer a primetime show. No, it, I think it was more popular in reruns. Yeah. And and the thing about making that show back then was they did 32 or 33 episodes a season. Now, nowadays, you know, 22 episodes yep. is the most you're ever going to get. And yep. now with Netflix and, ten. and Prime and all of that, they make 10 episodes, maybe 12. Yep. And that's it. So they did have, uh, at the end of the three years, they had 98 episodes, which um, ended up being plenty, obviously, to rerun endlessly. You know, they could they could really uh, rerun the show a lot. So it was interesting. I remember one time when Nick at Night, I think, first went on the air early in the early days of Nick at Night. Um, they did a Gilligan marathon, so Bob and I hadn't watched it in forever. <laughs> And so we thought, okay, we'll sit down and, you know, we'll spend Saturday afternoon watching, you know, Gilligan's Island. And it was just so interesting to watch him watch it because he would watch and then he looked over at me and he said, it's like that's somebody else. He said, it's like, I know the guy and I remember doing some of those things, but, but it's like watching, you know, and now that I'm older, I can, you know, I can look back at things I did when I was in my 30s and just go, yeah, I, I recognize her, but wow, you know, that's, that's me, really? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's interesting how that, how that sort of breaks down as you get older, when you look at your younger self and you know it's you, but it's like, wow, I, you know. Is it, does it say anything about me, Dreamer, that I do that after a week? I listened back to a program a week ago. I'm like, did I really do that? Is that really me? <laughs> <laughs> it just probably shows that you're paying such close attention. Is that what it is? <laughs> you know, okay, I'll I know ta- it's so funny, Bob. <laughs> you know, people, fans love Gilligan trivia. 
and when Bob was alive and, you know, the web first came in, into fashion mm-hmm. and we had a web, first website and all that kind of stuff, fans would write him with all these questions, you know, when in this episode, what happened? And that episode, <laughs> how did, and he would look at me and go, I have no memory of any of this. <laughs> oh, what? Wow. I don't know the truth. He could not answer Gilligan trivia <laughs> at all. No, he couldn't. He could not answer. The fans knew far more than he knew. Believe me. Dreamer, was he proud of that work? Or did, did I mean, uh, you know, there, I'm sure he was ultimately proud of it because it made so many people happy. However, yes. did he look at that work and, and feel a pride and a professional pride in it? Or, or did he look at it differently? I think, I think he did. I think at the beginning, they all had a problem when the show got, you know, the show was in the top 20 when it got canceled. And I don't know if you know the story about why Gilligan's Island was canceled. I don't. But they had all the scripts for the fourth season. Sherwood had all the scripts ready to go. And and the cast at the end of the third season went on hiatus. And, oh, I guess hiatus lasts, I don't know, maybe three months or something. And so they all thought they were coming back to work. Well, William Paley was the head of CBS at that time. And William Paley got the fall schedule during the summer. And he went over it, he looked at it, he looked at it, and he looked at his programming people, and he said, where is Gunsmoke? And so, of course, they start scurrying around, oh, Mr. Paley, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, well, we don't know where Gunsmoke, you know, all that. And he said, listen to me, Gunsmoke is my wife's favorite show. It better be back on the schedule. So they had one free half hour. Of course, Gunsmoke was an hour-long show, yep. and they had to free up another half hour to put Gunsmoke back on the schedule. And what they decided to do was cancel Gilligan's Island. So they all got, I mean, they thought they were going to be coming back. They didn't, they hadn't said goodbye, goodbye, you know. They, yeah. Um, and so it was kind of, I think it was disturbing, but what they all kind of thought after that happened was typecasting. We all know, if we know anything about Hollywood, maybe not as much nowadays as it used to be, but typecasting was huge back then. And so Bob sort of railed against being thought of and known specifically for Gilligan. Because he was, Bob was a, I worked with him on stage and I got to see him do different things that weren't Gilligan. And Bob was a really good actor. And, but of course, People wanted to cast him in other Gilligan roles. So I think that was frustrating for a little while. Sure. But he got so much snail mail back in the days when that was the thing. And then when the internet internet started, so much mail from fans who, and I can't tell you how much this happened. It was shocking. Fans who wrote him emails or snail mails saying to him that they had grown up in some kind of terrible situation you know, alcoholic parents or uh, abuse as a child. And Gilligan's Island was their only escape because for half an hour, an hour, however long it was on after school, when they got home, the parents, whatever the problem was, would leave them alone. And they thanked him for helping them get through a difficult childhood. This happened a lot. Wow. I mean, a lot and way more than you would imagine. And so, as those letters started coming in, he was like, you know, we did something good here. We didn't realize that we were doing something that was going to to save somebody's sanity. 
some way, somehow, because a lot of people told him they they dreamed of being on the island with the castaways, and they could they could always have that dream, and and it made their circumstances not feel as heavy as the yeah. circumstances were. So he was, you know, he he might have railed against it in the beginning to answer your question, mm-hmm. but as time went by, he really did understand that this show had been monumental to so many people and he was very proud of the work they all did he was proud of everything about it dreamy do you think if the show had continued four five six whoever however many seasons beyond the three that it it aired for do you think it would have been a different outcome do you think it would have found its place in the uh, in the pop culture lexicon the same way uh we know that star trek only lasted three seasons and that too Mm -hmm. somehow had a magic formula that has just, you know, found its its permanent spot in, in American pop culture, just like Gilligan's Island did. Do you think that if it had lasted longer, it would have done the same thing? That's interesting. Nobody's ever asked me that before. Maybe three is the lucky number, you know? Like the third season's the charm. <laughs> well, it's just sometimes, you know, sometimes we know that, 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 that television shows outlast their ability to be entertaining, right? Yeah, that happens. That's true. That's true. And when you... When you reach that point with a show, not only do you, does it affect the current season, but it makes people start to kind of look away from it and not not take it seriously anymore. I think you have made a very good point. If anybody ever asks me this question again, I will have an answer for them because I think <laughs> I honestly do think you're right. I mean, I think the fact that it was, you know, take it off when it was in the top 20, it was still popular. People were still watching it. Um, and, you know, back in those days, I don't know how old you are. You may not remember those days, but back in those days, you know, there were only three networks. So now this is the thing about Bob that I think is so amazing. Uh, nowadays, you see an actor do this series, like Rob Lowe, for instance, just goes from one series to the other. And I love Rob Lowe. I'm not picking on him at all. He, But he's always working and different series and, you know, always employed. Back in the day when Bob was on television, there were there was only ABC, NBC, and CBS. Yeah. And if you had a show on any of those networks, whether somebody watched your show or not, they knew who you were. Yep. Because there weren't that many famous people to keep track of. You know? <laughs> That's right. It wasn't like, <laughs> you know, it was like there were only three networks. You, if you didn't watch, you still heard about. And Bob managed to have, now most people don't know this, but Bob actually ended up having five series, which was unheard of back in those days. You just didn't, but he had uh, Dobie Gillis, mm-hmm. and then he had Gilligan's Island, and then he had a show called The Good Guys mm-hmm. with Herb Edelman and Joyce Van Patten. And that one, I think, lasted, I want to say, I want to say it lasted two seasons, and it was on. Oddly enough, against the Brady Bunch, another Sherwood show. And, of course, the Brady Bunch beat out uh, the good guys. Mm -hmm. But then after the good guys, uh, he and Sherwood kind of teamed up again. And they did a show called Dusty's Trail, which was basically Gilligan's Island on a wagon train. (laughs) (laughs) Out west, uh, the wagon train gets lost from from the, um, their wagon gets lost from the whole wagon train. And, honestly, it was Forrest Tucker who was like Alan Hale, mm-hmm. big guy like that. He was the, you know, the whatever they call them on wagon trains, the, the master, the head guy, 
Bob was a sidekick again. And then they had a school marm, a saloon girl, um, something that was equivalent to the professor, maybe at that time just a scientist or something. <laughs> and uh, what, who am I leaving out? Uh, oh, and the rich couple. And they had a rich couple. So it really was Gilligan's Island in the West. And I think that one might have gone for a couple of years. And then he did a show, and this just blows me away. He decided he wanted to do a Saturday morning show for the kids. And so he did a show in the 70s, early 70s, called Far Out Space Nuts. And the thing that blew him away about that, there were only 16 episodes. Now, this was a live action Saturday <laughs> morning show. There were only 16 episodes. People like John Carradine came and guest starred. Oh, wow. On, on Far Out Space Nuts. Blew Bob away when he was telling me about it later. Obviously, I wasn't around for that. But the kids in the 70s who grew up with that show loved that show. I mean, I'll still have people come up to me and go, oh, I loved your husband in Far Out Space Nuts. And the interesting thing is I've never seen Far Out Space oh, wow. Nuts. I've never even seen it, you know. But it was it was a big, it was only 16 episodes, but they had some amazing guest stars. And, mm. you know, it was he had a really fun career, I think. Yeah. He really did. You know, you, you mentioned the three networks, and I'm, I am old enough to have experienced that. In fact, my, I started watching whatever I was watching on a black and white television because that's all we had. Um, uh, yeah, I remember those days, yeah. In addition to ha only having the three networks, Dreama, you know, you talk about we, we knew all the celebrities from the shows because there weren't as many, and, you, you know, you heard about the others. But the other thing we did is we all had TV Guide. And all these people were at one point on the cover of TV Guide with their shows. And, uh, you know, yeah. we were all exposed to them that way, too. Everyone was getting that TV Guide every week. Almost every single household got it. And uh, and that's how we knew what was going to be on. But those the covers and the articles talked about all these shows and all these people. So I don't know for a fact, but I'm sure Bob was in there at some point. Oh, he was on the cover, gosh, I want to say four or five times. Yeah, that would make sense. There, there's... There's kind of an interesting story, if you want to hear it. I do want to hear about, it, yeah. About about one of the TV guide shoots. Okay, it's, again, Bob going to back to the cast. They wanted Bob to do a TV guide cover with Tina Louise, who played Ginger. And Bob said to him, he said, well, I'll do it. But we have to have Dawn Wells on the cover, too. I can't have two women in the show two young, gorgeous women, and not do a cover with both of them. And so they tried to argue, no, we only want Tina. And he was like, look, I'm not going to do it if you don't do it with both girls. And he, and so finally they relented, and they said, okay, okay, we'll take both girls. So they get to the photo shoot, and they're doing the posing and everything. And there's one where Tina's doing her Marilyn Monroe, you know, pucker and all yep. that kind of stuff. And Dawn's on the other side of Bob with her little pigtails, and she's just looking as cute as she can be. And they take the picture, and, you know, it's done, and Bob's happy because he got both girls in on it. Dawn didn't get left out. <laughs> well, when the TV guide came out, they cropped Dawn out no. of it. Yep, they did. And she ended up being, I mean, you know, Dawn just passed away not long ago, and, and she ended up being so popular. Because yeah. of Gilligan's Island. But anyway, yeah. they cut her, they, they cropped her out, had Bob and Tina on the cover. And when Bob saw the TV guide on the spine, because it was thick enough to have a little spine, do you remember? Yeah, I do. Uh, the thing was, mm -hmm. on the spine, 
you could see just the end of Marianne's pigtail. Wow. <laughs> it was like, and Bob, he was, he was not real happy that they, that they had done that. But I guess, you know, they were going to get their way no matter how they had to do it. So I always thought that was very, very sweet because Dawn, uh, Dawn and I were close friends for 45 years. And, you know, that's another... Yeah, she um she she passed away recent rather recently. I, I mean, my concept of time is a little off because of this pandemic no, stuff. But it was I tell you, it's the it's the truth. I'll think it's been six months and it's been like a week and a half or something. Yeah, but, um, but uh, she it was December twenty twenty. Yeah, I had I had I had an opportunity to to talk with her. I in addition to doing this radio program, I run a series of. Uh, they started out as horror film conventions. They they turned into more nostalgia conventions and. I was going to have her uh, appear at one, and I think uh, we we went into uh, into COVID year, and things got crazy. But um, well, I do those all the time. So if you ever want me, hey, give me a yell. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna take you up on that. Absolutely. <laughs> but I but I did I note I did note on your website, and of course it's bobdenver.com uh, for anybody looking to to check this stuff out. But I did know you had a nice uh, a nice tribute to Dawn on that website with a picture of you, the two of you together. Yeah. We were, you know, we were really, really close, and it's it's interesting to me that, um, see, the last time she was here with me was early in 2019, February of 2019, so uh, by the time COVID hit, I hadn't seen her in a while, but she came here to do a fundraiser for me for the Denver Foundation, and, and it was so funny, we were having, she was supposed to be here for like two days, and we were having so much fun that when the concert was over that she helped me emcee, she said, you know, I'm going to stay like three more days. Would that be okay? And I'm like, stay as long as you want. I love it, you know. And so we just had the best girl time. I mean, we sat around, you know, watching movies and eating popcorn and and just doing the girly stuff, you know, talking into the wee hours. And, and of course, then she went back to L.A. And, and the way our friendship worked, you know, she was on the West Coast. I was on the East Coast. Um, we would, there would be times when we would talk, oh my gosh, sometimes multiple times a week. And then there'd be other times when each of us would get busy or one of us would get busy and maybe we'd go two or three months without talking. And so when she passed away, it's even now, I mean, it's been almost a year, I guess it's been what, 10 months. Yeah. And even now it's hard for me to believe she's gone because sure. I, I feel like she's just on the road, busy working, and we just haven't talked for a little while. So that's still kind of hard, you know. She, if you got to meet her, and and you did, right? You got I, to I talked to her. I didn't get to meet her in person, but I did talk to her. Wasn't she just the sweetest? Sweetheart, absolute sweetheart. Yep. Absolutely, and and so full of life. Mm-hmm. She's just one of those, one of those forces of nature that that you can't imagine ever not being on this earth, you know? Right. And, um, but she was, I, I feel so blessed that, you know, as we started losing castaways, you know, we'd get, when Bob was alive, we'd get closer with, with Dawn and whoever was left. And then of course, after they all passed away and it was just Dawn and me because Tina has never really, um, she's always been very nice to me. I have no bone to pick with her. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying she's, 
she doesn't stay in touch, never stayed in touch. Well, didn't she, she, she kind of moved away from the cast. I know that when they did the, what was it, rescue from Gilligan's Island, and I think in like 78, whenever that was, which... Right. Um, she she didn't participate in that. I don't know what what was going on. I have no idea. But I just know you know she seemed to have moved away from the group. Is that true, or am I making that up? Well, that she was never very she was never very close. And again, I'm not picking on her. Sure, at of all, course, but, no. But the way I always heard the story was that, um, and this would not be her fault. She was doing a show with Carol Burnett on Broadway. I don't remember the name of the show, but she was doing a show on Broadway when her agent came to her and presented her with the Gilligan's Island script. And the way I heard it was that he pitched it to her. Okay, it's about this movie star. She's in a, a shipwreck with seven or six other people. They get lost on this island, and it's how they all survive together. So <clears throat> when she said yes to it, she thought it was going to be built around her oh which which would make sense because if the agent pitches it to you that way then you think okay it's going to be so when she went to um sherwood to to kind of register a complaint that wait a minute this isn't what i thought it was going to be he looked at her and he said tina it's not called ginger's island (laughs) it's called gilligan's island yeah and she and she but the thing, you know, the thing about that show, anybody who knows and loves it, I mean, everybody got to shine. I mean, everybody got their moment in the sun when the episode was all about them. You know, so yeah. I think she, you know, she did did okay with it, finally. I mean, she did the show, but after it was over, she didn't, I don't think she wanted to be known for Gilligan's Island. Right. But yet... Ultimately, that's probably what she's still known for. <laughs> that's what you know? she's known for. <laughs> I, mean, I know, I know, I know. You know. Isn't that funny? Might as well not. You really might as well embrace it and yeah. not fight it. Yeah. When yeah. something has that kind of popularity and longevity, you know. Yep. Uh, other cast members, obviously, Alan Hale Jr., the Skipper, um, which you know his his dad was a was a well accomplished actor as well. But uh, and Jim Backus, you know, such a talented guy. Uh, just obviously, we're going to run out of time here pretty quickly. But um, what are your thoughts on some of the other cast members? Sounds like it was a great group of people. It was a great group of people. I mean, it really, really was. Jim was funny. I mean, now I was around for all three Gilligan movies. Mm-hmm. So I was around for the rescue. That's when I first met everybody. I was around for Castaways on Gilligan's Island, where the Howells built a hotel. And then I actually was in the Harlem Globetrotters on Gilligan's Island, where the Globetrotters crash land on the island, and Gilligan finds them and takes them back to the hotel. <laughs> it, was like, it was like one of those. But uh, listen, I felt so lucky. We got to play basketball with the original Globetrotters. Oh, yeah. We're talking Deese and Curly and Meadowlark and, and Sweet Lou and all those guys. And I felt so lucky. And Catman Crothers played their coach. And so it was a really wonderful, um, a wonderful group of people, wonderful actors doing the parts. But, um, yeah, so I was around for all of those. And it, you know, they were all meant to be, they were two-hour movies. Each one was meant to be like a pilot. I think back in those days, everything they shot was supposed to be a pilot. Yeah. It did really well. And the first, The Rescue did. I mean, it, it got such a huge share 
And now I want to say, ooh, I'd have to look it up, but I want to say it got like a 56 share, which would never happen now. There's too much on TV now to choose from. So right. nothing would ever get those kind of ratings, but it was highly rated. And then the second show, they divided it into two parts, two hours, one, one hour, one week, one hour the next, so it didn't do as well. And the third one that I was in um, was just, you know, it's almost like, it's almost kind of a cult favorite. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? Mm-hmm. So bad that it so bad that it was good. Right. Oh, you know, we had we had so much fun doing it because the Globetrotters were so wonderful and such great guys and we all had such a good time. But Bob and I saw it about five years later on T V and we looked at each other and went, Oh, okay. You know <laughs> we didn't it, it didn't translate into two hours very well, but um but it was, you know, I just feel so blessed because the Jim was, that's what I was going to say. Jim was wonderful. The last thing that Jim, the last scene he ever did on film, um, I got to do with him, which is just oh, wow. such a, oh, it's just, it was just amazing. He was yeah. very, during the Globetrotters, they had a, a whole, um, a whole script that was based on, it was built around Jim, uh, Mr. Howell and one of his, rivals another rich billionaire kind of a guy uh were always testing each other and trying to outdo each other and so the whole thing was built around jim and jim ended up being very sick with parkinson's i think it was at that point mm. and uh so they had to bring in a young actor named david ruprecht who suddenly there was a thurston howe the fourth that nobody had ever heard of but <laughs> there he was and he did the greatest job of, of being Jim. He just, he did him so beautifully. And, and so the script was built around that. And because Jim couldn't do it and everything had to change sort of at the last minute, they gave the Globetrotters a lot more lines than I think they were thinking they were oh, going to get. Yeah. And they weren't actors, you know, right. they were basketball players. Right. And then they had us and the robots and all this playing basketball with them and we didn't know what we were doing in that regard yeah. <laughs> so but we had a great time not knowing what we were doing we had so much fun so the cat I'm, I'm kind of missing the mark here the cast was wonderful uh lovey was exactly off screen like she was on screen lauren yetz and all she was just lovely and of course dawn was wonderful and and russell was i mean i came to really um, have such huge respect for Russell because he was a World War II hero. He yeah. was shot down in the South Pacific and, you know, got a Purple Heart. And, and now that I work with Honor Flight, I started Honor Flight in, um, in my state here. So I have a great love for our veterans. And certainly yeah. that was impressive to me about Russell. And, they, you know, it's just a great group of people. And they all loved each other. That was the, that was the big thing. They had great respect and love for each other. We're going to, uh, like I said, we're going to run out of time here. I want you to tell me about the Denver Foundation. Okay. Well, the Denver Foundation is something, uh, first I'll have to tell you just a little bit about our son. Yep. Um, and this is what my book's about. For any, I just want to say this to any Bob Denver fan, to anybody who loved Gilligan's Island, Bob was very private. And so people don't know a lot about him. And, um, after Bob and I were married, we'd been married six years. We decided to have a baby. We got pregnant right away. Uh, we had the baby, and it became uh, a son named Colin. And it became pretty evident 
early on that something wasn't quite right. He wasn't developing the way he was supposed to and all that kind of thing. So anyway, when he was two years old, we were at UCLA. He was um, diagnosed at that time as severely retarded, which is a word that parents like me hate. Yeah. Really, really hate. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, over the years, it became severely autistic um, because aut- everything sort of fell under the autism umbrella and the spectrum. And so, uh, anyway, Bob and I ended up with a severely autistic son. And what people don't know about Bob and what I wrote about in great detail in my book, The Falling in Love, yes, and The Hollywood Years, yes, I wrote about all that. But then I talk about the birth of our child and how it changed our lives. And Bob, the thing that, that so many things about him I loved and so many things impressed me, but but when our son was diagnosed, there was no there was no question, no conversation. It was like we had a son who needed full time care and we were gonna do it. Yeah. Period. And Bob, he would go out and do personal appearances and and uh guest star on T V series uh to bring home some bacon. Sure, you, you know, need that too, yep. You got to do it, but as far as looking for a regular series work and all of that, he just sort of disappeared from the scene. And I know people used to write the website and, you know, how people can be nowadays, mm-hmm. and yeah. they could be a little bit rude. You know, what happened to you? Where are you? And yeah. All this kind of thing. But what he was doing for 20 years until he passed away, Bob and I did 24 7, 365 care for our son. And we did it, just the two of us, and I don't mean to be patting, you know, the two of us on the back. We just, we were mom and dad, and we did what we had to do, yep. but Bob's devotion to our son was truly a sight to behold, and his devotion to me and to not leave me alone. So Gilligan's Dreams is, uh, he always called me Dreams, which is why the book is called Gilligan's uh, Dreams. Nice. And and it's, uh, you know, it's really... It's really about surviving, about, you know, I talk about his death, which I had not talked about prior to that, what we went through. Um, It was really difficult, really hard. It was hard to write, and it's very raw. I've had a lot of people. It's won uh, four awards so far, so that's lovely. Wow. And in New York, actually, that's where you are, right? I mean, yeah, I'm in upstate New York, but yeah. Uh, Okay, well, at the New York Book Festival, my Gilligan's Dreams was the winner for Best memoir oh, best autobiography that's so, awesome oh no that was really exciting so i'm very you know very happy with that and then i have a children's book that bob inspired and we probably don't have time for me to go into that whole story but it's won like 10 awards i mean it's been an amazing adventure with the children's book i love it so and that much. would be four so, bears in a box right that would be four bears in a box mm-hmm. yes bob inspired that one he encouraged me to write a children's book i didn't get it done and published until he was gone. But the thing that's wonderful about it was he had originally thought he would illustrate it for me. So when you first open the children's book on the inside, I don't know what that part, I should know what that part is, but, you know, between the the hard cover yep. and the first page, there are um, pencil sketches. Those were Bob's original pencil sketches. Oh, wow. Uh, he, was, he was just sitting on the sofa one night and he was just sketching a little bit and, had no idea they would ever see the light of day. So I'm pretty sure he's probably up there going, honey, what are you doing? I never <laughs> thought, but they're really cute. And I just, it's just, it's a special feature in the book. And I know we have holidays coming. I'm telling 
everybody, it's a really great book for little kids to read aloud to them or I'd say up until maybe the age of like eight. It's a, I'm so proud of it. It's just a fun, wonderful book and they both won awards and they make great gifts. So I'll recommend those. And if people order them at bobdamber.com, then I can autograph them and get them off to them. So, Dreama, what, when people buy Gilligan's Dreams, The Other Side of the Island, and they read it, what are you hoping they take away from it? Oh, you know, I, I had, first of all, I, I had three or four reasons for wanting to write it. Uh, first of all, I wanted them to know Bob, the man, the father, the husband, not just the character of Gilligan, because he was really, he was not perfect, none of us are. But he was really an upstanding human being and and just so devoted to his children. So what I wanted, um, I wanted the book to inspire. Because I've got to tell you, when somebody reads it, I've had people, so many people tell me that when they pick it up, they can't put it down. So that's, I don't, I don't know that there could be a better compliment um, to a writer. That makes me feel really good. When I wrote it. I worked really hard. I wanted the person reading to feel like they were sitting across the kitchen table from me, and we were sitting having a cup of coffee, and I was telling my story. So I worked very hard at that, and I've had a lot of people respond that that's how they, they felt when they read the book. So that, that was great. But I wanted people to be inspired, to know that you can survive. I mean, Bob and I... You know, we went through, obviously, our son's uh, diagnosis for any parent, Mm -hmm. any kind of diagnosis. You would rather, uh, you would rather it be you than your child. And it's heartbreaking and it's difficult and it's exhausting in every way, physically and mentally and emotionally and financially. Those things are very exhausting. And we, you know, survived at the end of of that, when Colin was 20, that's when Bob was diagnosed, and he lived six months, and that was a really difficult six months, and I didn't think, I'm not, I'm not being dramatic when I say this, I mean this, I didn't, I honestly didn't think I could live without him, I was yeah. terrified, yeah. we had been joined at the hip, so I survived, and I made a life for myself that I carry on his legacy, I try. I do, that's when I do memorabilia shows. Dawn and I used to go on the road as Marianne and Mrs. Gilligan, <laughs> so that was kind of fun. We had a really good time doing that. But um, I kind of fill in for him and represent him and sure. have my books with me and all of that. And so, and then after Bob, um, on the ten-year anniversary of his death, um, I was actually sitting at Vanderbilt Breast Center getting ready to start treatment for breast cancer. Oh, wow. And I had, yeah, I had to go through that without him. So I have a lot of, um, in the book, I really feel I have a lot of touchstones, a lot of things that I have, valleys that I've walked walked through that, that people, you know, other than me, certainly walk through. Yeah. And I was able to survive. And and even thrive. I, I always think that's kind of a corny saying, but I guess it's it's true. You know, I feel like um, if I could say anything in that book, when Bob died, I remember going on Amazon back in the days when it was just a bookstore. Yep. Trying to find any book I could find written by anybody who could tell me how I could live through this. How could I survive this? 
And I remembered that desperation that I felt. And I thought, you know, if I can, if I can write a book and give somebody out there hope about their child's diagnosis or their spouse's death or whatever it might be, then, um, then that's what I want to do. So that's what I hope. I hope people will find inspiration and hope in the book. I really do. Dreamy, your uh, your experience is, is is so profound, and one of the things that's so beautiful about about what you're doing is that the tendency for a lot of people would be to be a little bit selfish in the sense that, you know, this is my husband, this is my man, this is, and I want to keep him to myself. But instead, you're not only sharing him with the world because so many people love him, but you're carrying on his work in so many ways, and his smile and his laughter and all those things, and he's and you're doing it uh, because you know so many people love. Bob and his work, and you clearly love Bob and his work. So, thank you so much for doing that, both in conversations like this and in the book. It's, it's really, it's really a blessing that you're doing these things. Oh, thank you. I just, you know, I just feel honored, honestly. To um, now that I'm an author, and you know, my books have won awards. I have my own little niche, but sure. I love so much being able to to represent him, to go out and. And honestly, the thing I love most about the memorabilia shows or Comic-Cons or whatever they are, the thing I love most, I love to meet his fans. Mm-hmm. And I love to answer their questions and hear how much they loved him. And that's very um, – that gives me peace and comfort to hear that. You know, I, I just always want to say to him, honey, nobody's forgotten <laughs> you yet, you know. Some of us are still here that remember Gilligan's Island. It's all good. But I just feel honored to be able to do that. And and one thing I have wanted to do in all the years that I've been doing this is I have wanted to represent him well. I I want to carry on for him um, as much as I can. And, uh, you know, I have his book. He wrote a book called uh, Gilligan Maynard and Me, the only book he ever wrote back in 1993. So when I do these shows and things, I always have his book with me. And so you can, it's really great because his book is the career story. Mm-hmm. You know, what happened behind the scenes on the shows he did and all of that. And my book is the private story. So when you get both books, it's, um, you know, you, you really get to hear straight from him what the career was like, what Gilligan was like, you know, doing the show and all that. And then you get to hear the private part that you've never heard. Uh, unless you listen to this interview, you know, you uh, right. the private part that you never heard things about and you never knew. And I've had so many people say to me that they always loved him, but they highly respected him after they read the book. And the thing is, I'll just say this and then I'll hush. See, I get very excited talking about him. <laughs> I love should. to talk about him. Yeah. <laughs> but the um, he always said to me, because he was older by almost 16 years, so... He always assumed he would be the first one to go. And so he would say to me, honey, you know, once I'm gone, if you want to write a book, because he thought I was a good writer, he said, if you want to write a book, write it. But if you write it, be straight with it. Don't sugarcoat it. Don't, you know, don't tiptoe around things. Just tell it like it was. And so he said that, and I believed him. And that's what I did. You know, when I first met Bob, he was a... We don't have to go into this heavy, but he was a drinker. That's another thing that that a lot of people in this world deal with, mm-hmm. you know, a spouse or somebody who who has that problem. And uh, we had to fight our way through that, believe me. 
And I, you know, I, I debated, should I write about this? Should I not write about this? What will people think? Will they like him if I write about this? And I thought, you know, it's part of who he was. And it's part of the challenge, the first challenge, really, that we ever went through together. So you told me to tell it like it was, honey, so I'm writing about it, you know. So I wrote about that and, and you know, overcoming that. And I just feel like I have a lot of things in that book that people will identify with, a lot of touchstones that people can go, wow, I've been through that, you know. Well, again, thank you for sharing intimate parts of your life with Bob. And thanks for coming on the program to talk about it. Again, the book is called Gilligan's Dreams, The Other Side of the Island. And you said people can come go to the website, bobdenver.com. They can buy it through the website and you'll autograph it. Is that what you said? That's what I said. If they do it at bobdenver.com, absolutely, I will um, autograph it and get it off to them myself. Uh, however, I know a lot of people are prime people. They love their primes. Mm-hmm. They're not going to give up their primes. So if they don't want to you know, do the website, they can certainly get it at Am- either book. Both of my books are on amazon.com. And um, I t- the children's book is, would make a wonderful, wonderful Christmas present. So... I recommend that Highland. Of course, that's for the kids, and then you've got Gilligan's Dreams for the grown-ups. So perfect. I'm trying to cover all my bases, <laughs> and you have, and you have very well. <laughs> Thank you for being so gracious too. I've ke- I kept you longer than I said I would, and I appreciate your time because I know it's valuable. But uh, Dreama, thank you so much for being here and sharing all of this with us tonight. JD, I had so much fun. You are really, really nice. Anytime you want to talk, you just holler, okay? I promise I'll take you up on that, and we'll also talk at some point about one of these conventions that I do if things get back to normal here, which we're still hoping will happen really soon. Uh, I know. We've we've all been hoping for yeah. a long time, haven't we? We really have. It feels, it feels like forever. I know. It feels like way longer than the almost two years that yeah. it actually is. It just feels like and like you, I just, time is, I have no sense of time it's, anymore. I know, it's crazy. It's, it's almost it because, really I, the thing that's kind of scary, not to keep you any longer, but the thing that's kind of scary about this, it's almost starting to be, seem normal, and I don't like that, because this isn't normal. This isn't my normal. I am I used to travel all the time. I used to get out and do stuff, and, and suddenly, I don't even think about that anymore, because this routine has changed so much, and I, I don't like that. Yeah. You know, I was just reading, I swear, I think today I was just reading something online about, you know, if, and, and I don't want to get political here or anything, but right. if we if we give up little freedoms, you know, it kind of happens subtly, mm-hmm. and it said just what you're saying. Suddenly, this becomes normal. Yep. And then another step is taken, and then that becomes normal. Yep. And yep. pretty soon, your children or your grandchildren aren't going to have a clue about how it used to be and that is scary it is it sounds like you and i could have a completely different conversation for another program because i I agree with what you're saying here you're right on target with that yeah i think i think so too it's just i just pray that you know we get it together and and that life can go back to what to what it was in 2019 i know (laughs) i know come on i know it's crazy we have to say these things but we do again dreamer thank you so much for being here it was a a love talking with you and i look forward to doing it again soon well thank you so much for inviting me and thank you for having me and to all your listeners let me see for me it's uh 12 15 so good night (laughs) (laughs) all right Uh, bedtime now (laughs) okay get some sleep all right uh again dreamer uh 
Denver your website to get all of the information we were talking about all night tonight. BobDenver.com is the best place to do it. You can find information not just about the books, but about uh, Dreamer's work with uh, with other things that she's doing as well. Some great pictures there, too. I, I referenced a couple of those. Beyond Reality Paranormal is hosted by J.V. Johnson and produced by Orion Palmer and Slick Eddie Edwards. Like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please consider supporting the program either through your podcast platform, click on the link in the description, or on Patreon at Joha Productions. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Paranormal or you have a recommendation for a guest, contact our producer, Slick Eddie Edwards. Eddie is spelled with a Y at slickeddieedwards at gmail.com.